Um, when I start talking, it gets real hot, so might as well turn it on. I'd turn it on if I were you. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for those that have brought music and for Paul. Thank you for all being here. The day after uh, Independence Day. That's all I'm going to get. <laughs> there we go. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I think it's been about uh, 245 years or something. 244. Well, that's pretty close. <laughs> 244. And there's times in the last six months I'm wondering <coughs> where we're headed next, right? Well, let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's turn to Matthew once again. Matthew chapter 5. We've been continuing on in the uh, Beatitudes. Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. So he's seated there with a multitude of people. And uh, let's uh, read it once again. Chapter 5 of Matthew. We'll begin reading at verse 1. Matthew 5, 1. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. When he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are there which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. God had a special blessing to reading of his word, and let us once again just bow for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the time we can literally commemorate the celebration and the birth of a country that you've blessed mightily. We thank you, Father, for directing the men, those founding fathers, as they valued you above all. And they set aside tyranny, and they looked to you for guidance. They looked for you for direction. As they unfolded the scriptures, Father, they followed after you. Liberty and justice for all. And Father, thank you for all of the many blessings that you provided this nation with. And now, Father, for these moments before us, we would ask that you would guide our thoughts, take all of us, our minds, the things that make us who we are, and allow us to see you more intimately than we've ever seen you. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would use the scriptures today, that the Holy Spirit would be our exclusive teacher. And Father, in our readiness to learn and to worship you more by going to the word, we would ask, Father, that, again, you would direct our thoughts. Thank you for those that are here today. We'd ask that you'd bless them, their families, and, Father, that you would lift them up, encourage them, give them what they need to even be more secure in Jesus Christ. Of Literally, how you've, the reason you've saved us is to conform us to the image of your Son. Amen. And now, Father, these things we're going to ask in your name with anticipation for where you'll take us today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we've been traveling uh, through Matthew chapter 5, and it's uh, 
we'll come to some sense to a culmination of at least the initial part of it. These, these characteristics, these attributes that Jesus Christ is laying out, uh, unfolding, and under the guise of how to be happy. And again, in our country today, in America, um, as they would have gathered in, in a place, let's just say that there was a, a large gathering because they heard that a Messiah, a coming anointed one, was going to discuss and describe how to be happy. And the place would fill up. And the stadiums would be full. And then the speaker would get up. And he would start off by saying immediately, happy are the humble. <laughs> he must have got the wrong speech. He must be talking to someone else. He must be describing something else for someone else. How is this? How can this be? But literally, on that particular event where Jesus Christ was unfolding to those followers, those that had followed him for various reasons, by the way, there were not probably very many people there that day to gain insight into God's word. They were there probably because of what Jesus had accomplished in the sense of uh, blessings to them physically. He had healed them. He had given them external things. And that's how their world was revolving. All of those religious leaders, if you talk to them, what's, how do you really want to get close to God? And they would, they would list hundreds of laws that if you keep these, then this is the way to really get closer to God. And Jesus is he's disavowing all of that. He said, no, I'll tell you what I want you to do right now is cut through all of the externals, all of the things that you think about, and I want to get right where things really matter, and that's at the heart of the issue to the very inside of where you're thinking, where you're believing, where you make your decisions, all of those things that literally make you who you are. And that's where he started. And he did that through the entire course of his ministry for three years. That's why the religious leaders really didn't care for him very much. They were looking for someone to, to rip them out of, the, out of the, the, the hole that Rome had on them. So that they could be independent. They could finally reach on earth the kingdom of Israel on earth. That's really what they were seeking. That's what they were looking for. That was their description, really, literally, of how they saw the Messiah unfolding from the Old Testament. And yet, here's this one that was prepared, that was going to be the Messiah, that was the Messiah, that was Emmanuel, God with us. And he starts off and he tells them how to be happy in all of the antithesis of everything someone would have given them in ways to be happy. Now, if I was going to, if we were going to take a survey of Americans today, how to be happy, I will stand here and tell you there's not one of these that Jesus said that would be on that list. I would have to say that probably most Americans today would say to be happy would to be, reach some sense of a plateau, some achievement, something that probably would be an outstanding accomplishment, and when they got there, they would think that they would be happy. Now, it's interesting that those that have reached those, uh, I'm thinking of quarterbacks that, that coach Super Bowl victory te vic victorious teams uh, that have asked this question. Is this all there is? And literally, that, literally, the scope of someone that has pursued their life ambitions to be happy, normally at the end of that little, that little climax, that little deal, is like, that's it? There's nothing more? That's correct. There's nothing more. And if that's all you're seeking, ex external glee, some kind of a little high, that's it. There's no more. Jesus goes right to the, to the depths, the very innermost parts of all of that. And he unfolds, and it's been interesting, as we've taken these last number of sessions together, they build on one another. 
And Jesus was absolutely right when he said, happy are the humble. Those that get it right about where you are in the sense of the grip of all of the world around you, in the sense of how helpless you are with sin. There's not a thing that you can do about it. That's a great place to come. Uh, pride is, that's, God hates pride. And he mentions it a number of times in the scriptures. He's not quiet about that. If you're prideful and arrogant, I, mean, I remember Nebuchadnezzar, we might have even talked about him as we were in uh, Blessed Are the Humble. Here's a guy that's on top of the world. He owns the world, if you will. And God made him a cow. Not, he didn't make Nebuchadnezzar a cow. He made Nebuchadnezzar the cow. That's crazy to me. I, I just find that remarkable. But the even more remarkable is this. Did Nebuchadnezzar deserve that? Yes, he did. I destroyed that, didn't I? Maybe we'll just lay it right there. But Nebuchadnezzar's, his, his view of himself was way unhealthy. He couldn't sustain anything that he thought he was. That sounds a lot like every human being that's ever been born. Humility is something that doesn't come with a package. Remember those, those little one- and two-year-olds? They can be pretty forceful, can't they? Those little grandbabies that we love so much, they come with that package of anarchy. It's built in. That's mine, and it's mine, and it's mine. And I want it now, now, now. It sounds a lot like our Americanos, doesn't it? It sounds like the humans. And literally, Jesus is saying, until you start with the attitude, the fold, the, the foundation of humility, there's no chance of being happy. That's where you must start. It's beautiful. And then to mourn over that sin that really has you ensnared. That's the second one. Happier those that mourn. And he moves on, those that are meek. Meek is really trusting God, isn't it? You may have some power, you may have some control, or maybe things that you have the ability to do, but meekness, I, I love it how Jesus had immense, un, overwhelming power, and he never used it except to do the very best for all of humankind. That himself going to the cross. My goodness, would you have used that opportunity? Humbleness, sorrowing after sin, meekness. And we talked about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Have you been starving for truth? Have you chased... Now, have, has anybody been hungry this week? A few of you, yeah. And the rest of you were just being dishonest. So, but to think of that as you would have satisfied that urge, that hunger that was coming across you. I, I want you to... I want, just as we did that day, I want you to change that, and you're literally just starving for truth. Now, our nation is starving for truth but doesn't know it. They're chasing after everything that is not truth, thinking that it will satisfy. It's impossible. Truth, and literally, that's where we're going to come today. The, the literally, as you bring us all together, the sense of persecution, it's all about truth. It's all about truth. We find the... the the pinnacle of where we are as a nation today. Uh, the lack thereof is the fact that we've left truth behind. Truth is imperative to progress. Truth is imperative to everything. Hungering and thirsting, yearning, starving for righteousness, says they will be filled. It talks about mercy in verse 7. Blessed or happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now that would be one that absolutely would not be on the how to be happy list. Okay, the way to be happy is to be nice 
and to be merciful to everyone else. What? How do you expect me to be happy? Right? That's how it goes, doesn't it? Each and every one of these characteristics are things that would be very much against self, against the promotion and the exaltation of who we would perceive or want ourselves to be, exactly the way Jesus wanted it. The nice thing is, as over 2,000 years ago he gave this speech, this inaugural address, as we've called it a number of times in, in your presence, I'm convinced that if he were here today, he would say exactly the same things. Because it's exactly what we need. Not only in this building, not only in this county, not only in this state, but in this country, and not only in this country, but in this world. The same things apply to what we need. So why don't, you know, the one thing we don't learn from history, or the one thing we learn from history, we don't learn anything from history. 244 years have went by, and we're still struggling with the same thing, the same thing and it's called sin. And it still has us engulfed. It has us entrenched. It's probably the least used word, I was going to say in the world, but certainly within our country today, is that word, that little word, S-I-N, sin. And it's the problem. It's the problem of all of the riots. It's the problem of all the anarchy. It's, all, it's the problem with every single thing that's gone on wrong in mankind's history is sin. And that's what we can't fix. And that's what Jesus is talking about getting it right. Isn't that cool? Now, the way he did it didn't appear to be cool. But he did it right. Now, we keep going, and it says that blessed are the pure in heart. Purity, holiness, righteousness, all those things that make God, they will see God. We talked a lot about that, purity. And which then at that point, you literally, once you, you're pure, when you've, when you've gotten to that point, then peacemakers, peacemakers. That's a nice place. Doesn't that sound nice? It's got that nice ring to be a peacemaker. But literally, that transition, when you are truly being a peacemaker, that is, peace does not come without truth. We talked about that last week. You cannot have truth. I'm sorry, you can, well, you can't have truth without it. You cannot have peace without truth. Peace without truth is nothing more than a truce, and we're just going to have a ceasefire. You just stop for a moment and then take off and fire again. But the really weird part is, or maybe seems weird, if you've got somebody that's a peacemaker, the next characteristic that's coming our way is that you will be, we can't really get it out, right? Persecuted. What? How does a peacemaker become persecuted? It revolves around truth. Can't have peace without truth. And when you speak the truth, guess what's going to happen? That those that resist truth, persecution will come your way. And Jesus, would you not say Jesus handled truth as well as anyone? He was truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes out of the Father. But, and he was the above all persecuted person, God-man, of everyone, of every place for all time. He hung on a cross innocent no guilt now most of the time if you want to get to the if you want to get to crucifixion you did something wrong you disobeyed someone somewhere for some reason what did jesus do he lived perfectly perfectly and he got to the cross that's called persecution isn't it at a high level now it's one thing we want to clarify right out of the box how many of you today would say somewhere in the past. Now, this is the other thing about the, the word persecution. When I say that, what comes to your mind? It's a really big, wide term, isn't it? It can take in a lot of country. If I was going to say, how many of you have been persecuted? 
there's probably a lot of hands that could go up on different levels. Now, it depends on what your first and foremost uh, picture, when I say persecution, that's like being burned at the stake, being hung on a cross, being hung at the end. Of, do you see what I'm saying? In other words, death is really at the end. Now, if that's the case, um, you guys haven't been that far yet because you're still here. But persecution actually can come from a lot of different angles. Some of it is just when you expound truth to someone that rejects it, they can get in your face. They can revile you. In fact, verse, verse 11 is the word that's used in the King James. Uh, Blessed are you when men shall revile you to accuse you, to come right into your face and just woo, bring it right to you. And why? Why is that? This is, we're going to stop for a moment here. There's only one reason and only one good reason for you to be able to say you can be happy in persecution. If you're persecuted, let's go to 1 Peter for a moment. I'm going to show you a few reasons that it's not necessarily a good thing for challenges you may have. Let's go to 1 Peter. Uh, I think we'll find in chapter 4 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. We'll start in 14. That'll be better for us. Maybe even 13. That's going to be even better. First Peter chapter 4, and I could even go back one more, but I'm not going to. But rejoice, verse 13, in as, in, in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But watch verse 15. But let none of you suffer, that same word for persecution, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. See, there's, there's some things that you can take some heat. You can take some, some level of suffering, and if it's of your own doing... That's not what I'm talking about. This is not, that's not the way to be happy. Don't go out and break the law. Don't go, don't go out and do something really stupid. No, 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 no. Did you, did you catch, go back to Matthew chapter 5, there's only one way to be happy in persecution, and let's go back to it in verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Are you being persecuted for telling the truth? You know what? That can get you in a lot of trouble today. There's places today that I could go, I, I, I could go on actually for quite a while and say if I would go there and talk about what the Bible says about homosexuality, I would be persecuted. I could go to some rallies or protests or riots or whatever you'd like to call them, and I could say what you're doing is wrong. It's looting, rioting, anarchy, and I probably would be persecuted. Very well, yeah. It, in fact, it, and that's even taking persecution to the next level of where we're now creating laws that are against the very laws that our country was founded on that makes us who we are, and that we've left, reached a new level. That's happening. In fact, I might really get going now. In fact, there are places in some states that you really cannot use the Bible. if it's against any behavior that could be diagnosed as bigotry or racism. And that's in the ears of the hearer. Wait a minute. This is the word of God. Isn't this what we're wanting? Isn't this what we want to know with the truth? That's why persecution follows a peacemaker. 
What's the best way to make peace? What is the very best way to make peace? To expose the truth, to lay it out there so everybody knows what the truth is, deal with it, and move on. You know where persecution comes? When they resist the truth of the peacemaker. And that's why it follows naturally right on this beatitude list. This is the last one. And it's really easy today to be reviled with truth. If you question that, I'll get you a plane ticket to a couple of cities. They'll get you woke up right away. There was a little pun on that woke, which I didn't. Just caught now, but don't, it wasn't unintended. Let's go to 2 Timothy for a moment. Let's find out who. Who is going to be persecuted? 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Because that's a, as you're turning there, don't, don't read it, but as you're turning there, you're probably just saying, oh, wait a minute, can't, you know, can't, can we not, like, be a Christian? And, because uh, this is really, if you take those attributes, if you don't come to Jesus Christ, if you don't come to God on a, on a humble basis, in humility, I, I've got a sin problem, I cannot fix it. In fact, I'm sorrowing over my sin. In fact, I have to trust God with my sin. All of these things that move you towards becoming, isn't there some way we can avoid the last one? Like, you know, just kind of be a peacemaker and just leave the persecution for those that are kind of on the rabid, R-A-B-I-D, that are more rabid for Jesus, that are kind of fanatics. Isn't there some way we can just leave that last part out? I mean, just kind of like get along. In fact, we're told to be at peace with, with uh, brothers as well as we can in Romans. So with that in mind, uh, where did I have you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12? Uh, we'll start actually in verse 11. Verse 10, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. Paul, writing at the very end of his, his, his life, the last letter he wrote to Timothy, his, when he was mentoring, my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all that will live godly, I'm speaking solely for reason, in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, what you wanted me to say was this. Yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer peace and prosperity and goodwill and happiness forever. Jesus is saying, literally, if you're willing to tell the truth and to share the truth for righteousness' sake, then persecution is part of what comes to you, and you will be happy as a result of that. Now, that just seems, whoa! And yet, of those disciples that followed him around for three years, there was 12 of them, one of them was never of them, Judas Iscariot. The remaining 11, literally, were persecuted and gave their life. The only one that technically died of an old age, which I'm not sure how, but miraculously it's thought that John, the apostle that Jesus loved, was dropped into a cauldron of hot boiling oil, and it did nothing to him. So then, if you're a Roman emperor, what would you do next? I would just send him to exile to an island, because I cannot kill this one. I'm just going to take him out of sight. And then guess what God did with him? He wrote the book of Revelation for us. God knows what he's doing. But all 11 of those died a martyr's death 
with the choice being theirs. And that's probably part of it is as you're sitting here today, you say, well, wait a minute. Persecution sounds like it hurts. You're right. I don't know of any that doesn't. But when you're speaking God's truth in the power of the Holy Spirit, he takes control and he is in charge. And whatever that pain is, he's bigger than that. He's larger than that. When you're willing to speak the truth, and again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 is careful about telling the truth in love. Sometimes it's easier for us to tell the truth with not much love. That's called callousness. Then there's some of our, the rest of us that we like to speak the truth with just so suave and so nice and smooth. And it's really not all that truthy. It's a lot of lovey. And that's baloney. Paul said in Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Now, again, we're not to, to go out there and make ourselves a misery to other people. We're not to be obnoxious. There are some Christians that really enjoy being obnoxious. And if you don't think that's true, just hang around some places. They literally are that very up there. They're just, they're, they're pugnant. They don't bring love. They don't bring truth. There's something about them. There's an air of superiority. There's something about them that does not help anyone come closer to Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus Christ is saying here in these Beatitudes. This is how you find God. And you will be persecuted when you speak the truth to the world because the world is not of God. They're totally separate. There's a war between them. There's class warfare, if you will. There's bound to be a separation. Even Jesus said, in fact, let's go to John chapter 18. John, John chapter 15 for a moment. John chapter 15. He's going to start talking about some stuff that is going to be hard, but it's true and it's good. John 15. John 15. Let's start about verse uh, 18. Oh, now, we, we gotta, God, where do we want to start? Oh, ah, Verse 9, and I should start at verse 1, but we're going to keep moving because we're going to run out of time. John 15, verse 9, it says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. Now, there's no way that those guys could have comprehended what he just said there. Can you imagine God the Son being loved by God the Father, who are one triune, and as the Father loved me, so I love you. Oof, that's good stuff. They probably nodded. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. See, Jesus wants you to be joyful. And you know what? Here's, here's, a, here's a really key component. We just read that, that uh, Paul was persecuted. Do you know what? Paul was joyful in persecution. In that letter to the Philippians, where he's in jail, he's not vacationing in the Bahamas, he's not enjoying himself on the beach, he's literally writing a letter about joy, J-O-Y, to the Philippians, and he's in jail, being persecuted, being falsely accused of talking about Jesus and and all of the things that go along with it, they say he was tearing down government. But he was joyful regardless of circumstance. Where does that come from? From being in Christ's love. Let's keep going. This is my command, verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, if we could take that verse and get a hang on it, we would be going somewhere then, wouldn't we? 
I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about a nation. Can you imagine loving as Jesus loved? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, Jesus went one better than that. He laid his life down for his enemies. As he's hanging on the cross, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's love. Maximus. You are my friends if you do whatever, whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Now watch. He, he, now what he's doing is he's going to turn the tables for a second, now, this is a relationship between he and them, the disciples. If there's any question, Jesus Christ loves his disciples based on the love that God loves Jesus. It's the same thing. We're connected. We're all the same family. In fact, we talked, we prayed about it today. God's job for you after he got you saved was not to just send you to heaven. Now, for our perspective, we say, yeah, 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 I want to go to heaven. That's why I got saved. No, that's not why God saved you. That is not why God saved you to take you to heaven. God saved you to conform you to the image of his son. Amen. Romans 8, 29 and 30. That's why he wanted you to look like Jesus. That's why he sent him down here so you could actually see what he was about. You could see how he lived. You could see how he acted. You could see how he loved. You could see how he reacted under persecution. All of the things that Jesus was is what he wants us to become. And that's why Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, that's how you do it. And God said, amen. Now, I don't know that he said that, but he did because he said, I want you to be conformed to that very image, that very essence of who Jesus was. That's what it's about. That's what it's all about. And now, watch, he's going to talk about something that would be just on the opposite side of a relationship that these disciples had with Jesus Christ. Who's on the other side of that? If you turn around to 180, it's the world. How does the world respond to Jesus? Watch what he says. Verse 18. If the world hates you, well, that's it. Now, wow, did you, did you watch what we just did in about the last six or seven verses? It's love, 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 love. And now he says this. If the world hates you, that system, you know, watch, you know that it hated me before it hated you. In other words, you're in great company. Now, one of the things that bothers me is if you are loved by the world, and I'm talking about you all out there, me included, when you all, that's, that's for the southern folks too that are hearing my voice, when you all are not hated by the world, that's not good. Because what that's telling us then is you're not literally in step with Jesus. Because Jesus Christ just told us right there that he is hated by the world system. And if your Jesuses, which he just told the disciples they were, then you, the disciples, you, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, you will be hated by the world as well. Because that's the way it works. Let's keep going. Verse 19. If you were of this world, I'm sorry, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember, the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 
If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. Wow, that's some serious stuff going on there. It's all about that relationship between Jesus Christ. They hated him. The righteous have always suffered. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. And you go from Genesis to Revelation. And actually, let's go to Revelation. You're closer there. Let's go there first. Revelation chapter 6. Let's look at a couple of things here. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. This is taking place during the tribulation, which is upcoming. Verse 9 through 11 of chapter 6 of Revelation. When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw on the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. This would be for righteousness' sake. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And the white robes were given unto every one of them, and it said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. There you see persecution to the sense of martyrdom. Turn over to chapter 13, same book in Revelation. Revelation chapter 13. Speaking of events coming up, now this is the book that, remember, the, 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 the emperor that threw John into the, into the hot boiling oil that didn't do anything to him? He said, I'm going to just send you uh, somewhere. I don't know what to do with you. And he wrote this book, Revelation, which follows after Daniel beautifully. It, it, if you think of prophecy, this is just a, just a little paragraph, a little branch we're going to jump out on for a moment. If, you, if you're going to try to jump into Revelation, and get a whole picture of, of, of the future and the prophecy, don't do that. that that'll hurt your head. You've got to go back to the Old Testament. You've got to get into Daniel. You start, and Daniel is like building a house. You would like putting the framework up. You'd have the foundation and the, and, and the studs are in place. Then you come to Revelation, and all this stuff fits on the framework. Otherwise, you're just putting stuff, stuff. And, ah, I got factors. A good friend of mine from Oklahoma he called me. He said, Larry, I just read Revelation. I mean, I, I just like... Poof. I said, start with Daniel. So he calls me two weeks later. He says, I read Daniel. Man, Revelation makes a lot more sense. I said, yeah, now just go back and read Daniel again another time and then go back. See, and that's how God's word. It just starts putting little things and it starts fitting together. And I'll get off that branch before you guys cut me off. Revelation chapter 13. Here we go. Verses 4 through 8. Watch carefully. They worship the dragon. Chapter 13 of Revelation verse 4. They worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. They worshiped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. And them that dwell in heaven, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Do you, do you see again, you see that huge war that's taking place between good and evil. And you will choose a side. By not choosing Jesus, by not choosing God, you have chosen. You've chosen a side. Somewhere you're in there. There's no fences. You cannot ride fences. The very essence of not making a choice, you've made a choice. 
and it'll even be more so. In fact, during, living during the tribulation period, again, I don't want to get hung up too, too long here, but um, as, as you work through the tribulation period in Revelation, if you think being a Christian is difficult here, it will be next to impossible then. Because one of the things that happens is right now is all of you that are in this room, I don't know which ones of you, but a good share of you potentially have trusted Christ as Savior. And when that happens, boom, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Not for five minutes, not for ten minutes. The Old Testament, now the Holy Spirit could leave. He left Samson. He left Saul. He left a number of others. He could come and go. And that was one of the reasons that David said in Psalm 51, don't take the Holy Spirit from me because he knew what it was like to have him on. And you know what? I wouldn't want that ever to happen. And you know what God promises in Ephesians? That he is the seal, the Holy Spirit is the seal until the day of redemption, till you're glorified. He's with you and won't leave you. Guess what happens when the rapture takes place? Just at the outset, at the cusp of the tribulation, we go home. And you know what goes with us? The Holy Spirit. Can you imagine trying to get saved on this earth without the Holy Spirit? Oh, I can't even imagine it. That's tough enough now. But there will be some. There will be some that get saved. I'm not going to say totally by the mercy of God. Okay, have I, I, see how I'm doing? Oh, I'm out on this branch again. Did you cut it off, Paul? Let's keep moving. Let's go back to, uh, let's, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Let's go back to Genesis, the book of the beginnings. And let's look at the first persecution that I can find that seems to be from a righteous and a religious opposition. There was two men, and one of them was righteous. One of them was interested in pleasing God, and the other one was very religious. He wanted to entertain God. He wanted to do it his way. Let's go back to the Cain and Abel story. If you're there, tell me what chapter we're going to. That sounds perfect. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Genesis. Now, again, keeping in mind, what, what, what did Jesus say? Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for truth, God's truth. Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived, verse 1, chapter 4, bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and, his, and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth or angry, and his countenance fell. Now, the, the first thing that I would be wonder about is if God is angry with you, no, no, let me say that differently. Let me say that. I got, I got it. If God did not accept your offering, and apparently Cain knew that. There, there's, there's, there's in that text right there, there's no question about the fact Cain knew what he brought to God was inadequate. What would be your response if you're wanting to do things God's way? How can I make it right? What did Jesus start with? Blessed are the humble. Do you see Cain getting on his knees? Lord God, I missed it. Um, what can I do to worship you? What can I do to bring what you desire? My heart is open. That's humility. What did he do? He got mad. 
He's mad. Get, get this. He's mad at God. That's a bad way to get set up for the morning. It's a really bad way. In fact, look what happens. It's, it's almost logical what happens next. The Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry? Why are you wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? God's like a second chance. Uh, Cain, I see, you know, you're a little ticked off right now. Let's, let, let's, come, let's have a meeting of Jesus. Let's, let's, let's work this out. What, 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 what did he say? Let's keep going. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Boy, that was an insight, wasn't it? And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Killed him. Just boom, killed him. That is persecution at the max, isn't it? Why did he kill? Why did, why, keep in mind now, why did Cain kill Abel? Why? Why was he jealous? Because Abel really had been persecuted for righteousness' sake. He had done what God had asked him to do. He was accepted. And, Ab and Cain, that, that whole thing just baffles me. You know, it's not like the multitude, of, like there's thousands and millions of people on the earth, and they don't really know where God's at. Did you see God talked to Cain? Now, granted, we can do the same. We're, you can speak with God on a relational basis. When you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God is just literally, he's right within you, the Holy Spirit, and to converse with him, isn't that beautiful? Today, I was just, I was just talking a lot with him. I said, where do you want us to go today, Father? How do you want me to describe persecution? What do you, all of those things are going, and you know what? He's answering that prayer right now. That's what he does. He answers prayers. And to think that Cain had a conversation with God, and Cain's mad at God. You're going to get some wrong stuff going on down the line. In fact, a rage, show me somebody that's in a rage, and I just see a lot of problems happening really quickly. Correct? That's what's going on in our nation today. We call it protesting. We call it rioting. We call it looting. Depends on who perspective you are. But it's like destruction, and it's almost like out of control. You see the energy that is literally just wasted and lost in the fervor and the fury of anger. A man loses his life at the hand of a policeman. And it's like we've just enraged the world. Anger out of control is very, very dangerous. And when you're mad at God, that's even more dangerous. Persecution, the first one we find, actually is right there. Abel stood for what was right. Let's go back to Philippians for a moment. Let's get another perspective. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Paul again writing, the book of joy. Well, what would you write in the book of joy? Well... How to be happy. Look where he goes in chapter 1. Oops, I went the wrong way. Philippians chapter 1. And let's look at verse 20, like 28, 29, right in there. I'll be there in a second. I went the wrong way. Philippians chapter 1. There it is, verse 29. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. A book about joy. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him. Watch, this is, this is a benefit round. You don't even get the opportunity to believe on him. You also get to suffer with him. <laughs> Whoa!
whoa, wait a minute. I, I didn't look at it that way before. No, really, you, you not only have the opportunity to believe in him, you literally get to suffer with him. A relationship that you're camaraderie with. You see, it changes a lot of things, doesn't it? Remember those three guys thrown in the furnace in Daniel? That's called a little bit of persecution, right? I was aghast when I saw some of the congressional leaders uh, a couple of weeks ago kneel in a rotunda with African garb on for Black Lives Matter. I was, I was aghast. I was blown away. I love the cop from Atlanta, Georgia. This is the only one I'll ever bow to is Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you, know, you don't think that same stuff happens? That's exactly what's happening in America today. Exactly what's happening happened in Daniel. You've got a king that says, I'm king and I am number one and I'm going to have a statue and I want everybody to fall down and worship and to bow to that thing. Got a decision. Now, the easy one would have been to do what? Those three guys. Hey, God, let's have a little talk. You know what? He's just going to do this for a month. So I'm just going to kind of check out, do a little time out. You know, you know I love you, God. You know you're number one with me. So I'm just going to kind of play along and just kneel and make everybody happy. There's no... No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. Truth doesn't work that way. That's why persecution takes place because... Peace comes with truth, and without truth, there's no peace, nor is it any way for truth to be expounded without truth being there. I'm way too animated today, aren't I? I'm sorry, but not very sorry. Those three men stood out like a sore thumb. They stood out like a sore thumb. There's multitudes of people that are bowing down to this image, and they're standing up. That's worse than the football team that's not kneeling. And by the way, this is the other part that I want to make very, very clear. There was no protests to the king. They showed up. They did what they were supposed to do. And when the line came to cross it, in other words, they had a decision to make, I'm either going to obey God or I'm going to obey man. And they said nothing. They just didn't obey it. Who's buzzed up now? The king. He's buzzed up. He's way buzzed up. Especially when they come and they say, uh, you know, those three Hebrews, they always, want to, they always want to attack you. You know, those three Jews, those three Hebrews, those guys, they, did you see they didn't bow? That's kind of in their, their MO. That's kind of who they are. And you know the story. They throw them into the furnace, and guess who's with them? I love it. Jesus is with you the same way. He's not going anywhere. If you're going to have persecution for truth's sake, for righteousness' sake, I can guarantee you that he is right there with you. Now, we love a good story to end, right? And those three men, there was not even a hair singed on their head, and yet that king was so mad, he was so ticked off, he made that furnace seven times hotter because I'm going to burn them quicker. I'm thinking, what? why would you do that? And all he did was kill the men that were trying to put them into the furnace. They couldn't even take the heat that was on the exterior, and they throw them in, here's the fourth guy, and it's like, right? I mean, Mauser dropped. And he says, get him out of there. <laughs> and you know what happened that day? The Lord God was honored. He was glorified. And you know what wouldn't have been any different? This is, this is key now. Because we like, the, like, we like the end story where nothing but good happens. Don't you love a happy ending? But what if those three men would have perished? Jesus would have been nowhere else but with them. They would have went right home. See, it's like in Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all of those that were slain and sawn asunder. Those didn't make it. Those were persecuted and didn't, quote, get through this. It doesn't matter. 
the end is still glorious. It's still wonderful because Jesus is still right there catching them, holding them, protecting them, being their savior. That is tremendous. And that's why persecution to me, I'm willing to do it because I know it's at the end. And I'm talking about major stuff, but I'm even talking about the fact when you expound truth in public to someone, and again, not, not, not a loud mouth, you just, you just say what truth is, right? That, and by the way, you should, you, that should be just normal. That should just be the way it is. Mm-hmm. And when they revile you for that, well, good. That's awesome. That means that Jesus' name has been glorified. Because all I'm doing right now is I'm giving you the truth that can set you free from sin. And America needs a lot of that right now. And it really doesn't matter how they respond because the world, if they have a decision, now that's the really cool part. God always gives a decision. And when the gospel is given, you have a decision to reject it or to accept it. If you accept it, then you're agreeing with God and you can't do anything but your sin. You must accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice and you accept it and the party is on. You are fixed in heaven. Or you can reject it and then that's how what happens what they did with Jesus Christ. They reviled him. They persecuted him. They killed him. They buried him. And he broke through those chains of death once and for all and broke the penalty and, the, and canceled all of the power of sin for me and you forever. I'm so thankful he did that. I'm so thankful he did that. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians. See if you can find that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3. First Thessalonians 3, 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Again, for, for verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. He's saying all of you will suffer tribulation. Let's go back to, uh, I'm thinking, uh, this just hit me now, Romans chapter 5. Let's look at this again. Romans chapter 5, one of my favorite chapters. Romans chapter 5, let's start in verse 1. Now watch carefully, because there's something else. I'm going to say it now. I was going to leave it to the end, but I'm going to say it now. There's something that persecution does to you that God wants you to really, really get a hold of. When you're persecuted, it drives you to dependence on God. Persecution gives and breathes and yearns for dependence on God. Let's watch now. Persecution is for our sake. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that verse 1 right there is so full, so awesome, so amazing to have peace with God because of being justified by faith because of what Jesus did. Verse 2. By whom, Jesus, also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. And let me read that for you again in case you missed it. And not only so, we glory, glory, we, glo- we, glo- we glory in tribulations also. Did you get it this time? Whoa, knowing that, watch, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Did you see where it all started? tribulation. Now, none of you sign up for that. Now, if I was going to take a, let's say we're going to have a class. We're going to have a class on tribulation. Tribulation 
And uh, actually, the uh, this is really nice because this is going to be a low-cost class. This is a college-level class. And uh, this, this quarter, we're offering it for free. So I'm wondering, all of you that want to attend the Tribulation Class 101, please raise your hand, and I'll just write your name down here. Well, for those of you that aren't here, it is not a large group that have applied and just, 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 and yet we just read that we know that we glory in tribulation. So why didn't you sign up? That's why God signs us up. Do you know that every one of you that just didn't tell me to put your name here, do you know God just signed you up? See, we've been reading it about four different places in the Bible today. I just wanted to make sure that you guys didn't want to offer because God's got you in the class. It's required. Don't you love those required classes? <laughs> but the really cool part is, is it's one that you're going to come out of and you're going to have more dependence and more appreciation and more love and more dedication and more glorifying to your Savior than you had when you didn't go into the class. And that's the beauty of the Beatitudes, is it brings you closer and it makes you more like Jesus Christ. Oh, goodness. Did we finish up on uh, John 15? How far did we read there? Can somebody tell me that quickly? What verse were we on? John chapter 15. Where did we, did I lose you? I went somewhere else. Yeah, we're in Romans currently. Remember, we, were, we, we went back in John 15, and then I started reading, and then I think I lost myself. Where were we? 21? Let's keep going. Let's go back to John chapter 15 for a moment. And verse 21. This was the verse that I should have kept doing, but I didn't. He's talking about the world hating him, hating them. And now he says in verse 21, but all of these things, these persecution things, these things, these hateful things that will happen, all of these things they will do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak, they have no covering, they have no way to escape their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. Now that would have been a big statement. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. <laughs> uh, that's got to hurt a little bit, as he's, as he's got all of these religious leaders, and they hate him. At this point, they hate him. And there's no question about it. They haven't there's, there's no decision to be made. If there's Jesus on one side and anybody else on the other, they're going to take the other side every day. We have some of that going on in our country today, isn't there? To hate people so bad you would do anything to destroy anything else just to get rid of them. That's crazy. And yet it said they hated Jesus without cause. No reason. So why is this all taking place? They don't know God. They don't know God. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 5. Let's look at something that, uh, a division, if you will, a sense of making choices. Uh, Acts chapter 5. And let's look. Let's see, where do we want to go here? 
So we're going to have to do a little reading because I don't think there's any other way to do this. Let's just start in verse 12 then. Acts chapter 5, we're going to be working through most of this chapter. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all in one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. The believers were the more added to the Lord, and multitudes both of men and women. The church was growing. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that the least of the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Now that's going wild. There came also the multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Wow, this is a spiritual high going on. Then the high priest rose up. Of course he would, because why? Why would he, why would he be rising up right now? What's, what's wrong with this? I mean, you're watching, you're watching God working. This is a new dispensation. The church is unfolding, and God is giving his miraculous power to show that this is where God is working right now. Okay? What should the high priest be doing right now? Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm excited for what God's working on, building a brand new church, a brand new thing, and I'm right there behind it. Uh, watch what he says. He rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. Does that mean what? Fun, joy, and... No, they're mad. They're mad about what? And laid their hands... Now, that laying their hands on is not a nice way. On the apostles, put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, brought them forth, and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of his life. Now, get that. So the, the priests throw them in jail. What are they throwing them in jail for? Because they don't know God. <laughs> don't miss that. You're persecuted because people don't know God. They throw them in jail. Almost, it's almost like you get the picture. They throw them in jail. Here comes the angel. Okay, guys, doors open. I want you to go preach here over the temple. What do they do? We're going to go preach at the temple. <laughs> They're not slow. Keep going. Here we go. Get back to my seat here. My, where am I stand? Uh, and when they had heard that, verse 21, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. Do you see what he's going to He's got all his ducks in a row. Now he's going to just go get those two little losers that he's got in prison. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna show them a couple of things. We're going to slow this deal down. So they send him to the prison. Okay? What, what, have the, what have the two guys been doing? They've been preaching in the temple all morning long. I love this stuff, right? They're getting, they're around the people. Now, they didn't go to the high priest and go, nah, 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 nah. No, no, they just did what the, what the Lord told them. God's not going to tell you to thumb your nose in front of other people. No, 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 no. You just do what God wants you to do. You speak the truth in love. That's what they're doing. Watch. Here we go. I'm too excited today. What verse was I on? I lost it. Oh, verse 22. And when the officers came and found them not in the prison... You who they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety. The keeper standing without before the doors, and when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereon this would grow. I bet they did. Then came one and told him, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. <gasps> oh, no, they're teaching people the truth. This is going to get serious. Then went, then went the captain with the officers, brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Which name? Jesus, right? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us, then Peter and the other, I want you to watch this really, really carefully. This verse is awesome. 
They have, been, they have been throwing down the gauntlet. Now, this is the religious leaders. These are the kingpins of the religiosity. And they said, you were told not to teach and preach about Jesus anywhere for any reason at any time. Did you not get that? Again, Peter in his, I'm going to just say a small voice, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. There you have it. That's exactly what we are to do. When we need to talk about Jesus, we talk about Jesus. Because that's what he wants us to do. And if persecution comes our way, we say, amen. Bring it on. Because you're right there with me. You've got me in a situation where you want me. It's all about truth. It's all about truth. I think of Daniel. Again, I, the other thing that is really key and really com key component to all of this is that we're suffering persecution's sake because we're trying to be a peacemaker. Mark that very carefully. We're not being persecuted because we're a loudmouth and we're, and we're obnoxious. No, 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 no. That is not what's being said. That is not why Jesus led this up to this way. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And then he said, blessed are you that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. As you're a peacemaker declaring truth, the resistance, the resentment that persecution comes to place as long as it's said in truth with, uh, truth with love, that's the perfect place to be because God's going to do some serious work. I'll give you another example. Remember the story that you, probably the, one of the first ones you ever heard as a little kid. Maybe a bigger kid. It's the one about Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. You know what makes that one so special? Daniel just did what was right. And it's always the right, right time to do the right thing. It's always the right time to do the right thing. And here's Daniel. Now, he's a leader in the government, right? And they're trying to get to him. And I'm gonna, we're just going to move on. But there's details here that describe for us that Daniel was being maligned by these other guys that were around him. He wasn't looking for any trouble. He's just doing his job. Did it well. I'm sure for, was it 70 years or 80 years, this guy is in government at a high level. And he's a Christian in a foreign government? Oh, wow, right? He's, he's one of God's. And then they said, we got to get this guy out of here. And there's only one way. There's only one way we're going to do this. Is somewhere, it's got to be between his God and him. Because he's just like that. Him and his God, they're like this. They are unbreakable. So they make this plan. You go to the king. Oh, king, you're such a wonderful, wonderful guy and an unbelievable monarch. And we just want to just, you know, just, just kind of dedicate the month to you. Because we think so much of you. So we're going to say this. If anybody prays to any other god but you for a month. What's this thing about this month thing? You know, I'm convinced of this. If you can get compromised for a month doing stupid stuff, you're going to be compromised for the rest of your life. Stand firm. Stand courageous. Stand on the truth. Anyway, so Daniel, what does he do? <laughs> like he always did. Went up to his room, threw the windows open, and prayed toward his God, just like he's always did. No announcements. No fanfare. Just does what's right. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. Just do what's right all the time. No fanfare. Just do it. 
And here they were. They were waiting outside the room. Oh, oh, we got him. And they tell him, oh, we got this Daniel. This guy, he's just, he's predictable. Well, of course they knew. They knew he was going to do it. That's the really cool thing about, I would want you to be the same. Be very predictable. Have enough, uh, what should we say, evidence to convict yourself as a Christian all the time. That's cool, isn't it? Don't live a life of, of, of dichotomy. Be real all the time. And so they get him and, oh, the king is like, oh. I didn't see that one coming, right? And he's up all night trying to figure out how to get him out, and he can't get him out because the laws of the Medes and the Persians can't be altered, and rah, rah, rah. And, you know, I'm just thinking, well, why can't you make another law from the Medes and Persians to break the one that you just made? I, I had thought about stuff like that, but, but you know what? God wouldn't have been glorified if you had done that. This is really cool. Daniel right now is in a perfect spot for God to become really, really big. It's the same for you. When you're a peacemaker spreading truth, and you're persecuted for truth's sake, guess what? God is going to do some big stuff because God's getting the glory, and it's for your good because we know what did we read in Romans chapter 5? It's glorious to have tribulations, and he signs you up in that class because he knows you're going, to be, you're going to become more like Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful class to attend because he's the instructor. Don't you want to go to the class that God instructs? I do. Anyway, so Daniel's thrown into the line, the den of lions. Put your shoes on with Daniel for a moment. How would you be feeling? It doesn't tell us what Dan's response was. Just nothing. I think that's just how he was. He just said, I'm going to do it right, and it's all the consequences are with God. And you know what happened? God was glorified. In fact, those little kitties, they were just nice little kittens. Their mouths were closed. I can just see him. I can just see him amongst them. He's just petting them. It was a nice. They had a, just a, a wonderful evening. And the next morning, out comes the king. Oh, Daniel! Daniel, are you alive? You know, like, uh, what was he expecting? And then Daniel says, "Oh, king," and they always have that live forever stuff, right? Oh, live forever, my God has saved me. And then you know what happened next. They took him out, and Daniel's God became number one in the nation. And those guys that had set Daniel up, they got to be kitty food. But who was on charge? Who was in charge? God. Who was persecuted? You have to say Daniel, but really? What was Daniel's love as a dependent? Now, think, this is where I want you. This is where I want you. When you go through a siege, and I'm not going to say that you've got a den of lions coming on you this week, but if you do, guess what? Daniel's dependence on God must have grown monumentally because to see what God accomplished was, wow, God is in charge. And that's literally a lot of what our founding fathers saw in this nation. For a number of years, they watched the tyranny continue to just escalate and escalate and escalate with no representation. And I can't get into, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge story. And those that you don't know, your Revolution War history, it's, it's an amazing story. The chances of the revolutionaries actually winning this is zero-ness. And they fought for a long period of time. It wasn't like, like 1784, 1776, it was a long period of time. And again, they don't have any money. They don't have any raw. They don't have nothing. But what are they standing on? They're standing on God's word. They're standing on God's truth. They're standing on the fact of, yes, government, but not tyranny. 
They wanted things to be done right. They wanted liberty and justice for all. It's not a divided nation. It's for all of us. And they stood firm. And they stood solid. They were ready to give their lives. I think of all of those, those signed. You know what? If you would have signed your name on that Declaration of Independence and passed it over to the Britons, British, whose names do you think became in red and looking for their hides? Starting with Samuel Adams and just going right down through the list. Those guys. And they stood firm. And that's why we can be in this place today unpersecuted and talking about the Word of God. Now, how long that lasts, I don't know, but I'm going to enjoy every minute of the fact we can look at God's Word, His truth, unmolested, unpersecuted, because of what those men and women did to stand firm 244 years ago, doing the right thing. May we do the same. May we stand firm. May we be peacemakers speaking truth in love. And when persecution comes, to God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Sharing truth. Sharing love. Because that's when he becomes bigger, bolder, and mightier in a nation that needs him more than they've ever needed him right now in the year 2020. If there was ever a time that America need God, it's right now. And it's up to us. Because God would say... He, if, if I was sitting in that seat right there, Jesus would say the same thing right out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 13, but through 12. Next week, we're going to look at now when you're ready to be in that condition, when you're starting with humility, ending with really being open and willing to be persecuted, then you truly become what America needs today, and that is this, a world that's dark and one that needs salt, salt and light. And now, when you're in that place, you're in a perfect position to be everything that God can use in a, in a nation that needs salt and light. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. We thank you for all the blessings you provided our great nation with. And yes, Father, there are massive challenges. There are massive mountains of opposition and challenges, Father, that we don't even know the depths of. But my prayer is that we would turn back to you. That we as a nation would turn to the God that founded us. To the God that spoke to those forefathers. Those founding patriots that put together a miraculous documents such as the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. Father, obviously it's not inspired like the Bible. I'm not suggesting it, but to think of how you would have filled those men's minds with truths and laws that have literally done such an amazing job for 244 years. To you, Father, is who they looked to trust. It's to you, Father, that they leaned. It's to you, Father, that they gave everything that they were. And Father... Even though we did not live in those days, it's a long time ago. There's a lot of emotions, lots of things that we can't possibly understand. It's very clear that you have blessed this nation. And you have blessed those that have lived here. And fathers were on the precipice of making horrible decisions. Father, work in the hearts of men and women. May we return to you. We lift up your name. We glorify. We honor. We worship you, Father. We thank you for the truth that Jesus laid out on that mountainside on that day to that host and multitude of people that were in attendance listening to the words of the King, listening to the words of the Messiah, 
listening to Emmanuel, God with us, listening to the depths and the breadth of his words. And Father, those that have changed have come just exactly the way he described they needed to in humility and in meekness. Father, today I would ask that anyone that does not know Christ personally, that in the quietness of their heart, they would just call out, Lord God, I need you. I need you to take my sin problem. And Jesus paid the price, and I accept his sacrifice by faith. Your grace, so rich, so merciful, as Jesus died for not only those that loved him, but those that hated him. And his grace is sufficient. His sacrifice is big enough to take away the sin of the world. When you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you are a new person. You are a new creature. The Holy Spirit will come to live within you and has already if you've spoken those words with sincerity. God changed everything. You're now at peace with God. All of these things that Jesus has said now, the ways to be happy, to be joyful, to be completely fulfilled become reality. He will work in your heart. He will work in your life. He will construct and take away things, Father, that don't need to be there. As He will chip and mold to make you just like Jesus Christ. That's His goal. Always has been from beginning before the foundations of the world. Thank you for Jesus' words, Father, that we've been able to tune to and to look to anticipation, Father. We look to a week ahead that you will be guiding and leading and directing us. We bow at your feet in humility and, and meekness, asking you to protect and provide for all that we need and what to say. In Jesus' name, amen.